Welcome, 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 welcome to the Photographic Collective Podcast, y'all. My name is Miles with Boyer. Okay, today's guest. Let's just get right into it, okay? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to introduce you guys today to a guy that, uh, that has spent the last three years living in an RV all over the country. During that time, he has photographed uh, a number of Olympic athletes in all spectrums of creativity. He also splits time between living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and uh, in Hollywood, shooting commercial projects as a freelancer. He's had uh, about 25 other jobs, including being a professional retoucher and uh, and some other wild things. Um, but you guys, what sticks out today about my conversation with Aaron Anderson, spoiler alert, today's conversation is with Fujifilm X photographer Aaron Anderson. Y'all, what sticks out is this dude's courage, just his absolute intentionality and his abandon uh, towards his priorities of his family, his kids, and his wife. It is one of the best conversations. Uh, I needed it. I know that. Like, I walked away from this chat with him just full, and I can't wait for you guys to experience that same thing. So without further ado, we're going to click right over to this conversation with Aaron. Okay, so we were talking um, before you had to go lock down your closet doors. Um, we're we're going to get there. We're, we were talking, though, about you being on the road. So you're in Texas right now. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tell me about that. Where where in Texas are you? So, I mean, the easiest way to explain it is we're in like the DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, but the way our parks work is it's all usually about an hour or so outside of bigger cities. Um, so yeah, I've been commuting in and just kind of having meetings, but it's usually about an hour drive for me. That's the way it was in LA too. We're like 45 minutes when we're in the park there or whatever. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like camping to us anymore, but it like to everybody else, it's very much like camping. And like, even a lot of people that stay in the parks here, it feels like they're just camping, but we actually live here. So it's kind of, uh, an interesting experience, but fun. Okay. How long have you been there? Uh, at Texas or yeah, yeah, in so, Texas, all like two weeks. Okay, okay. Um, so, so I mean, back back us up a little bit because I, I get the obviously I get the feeling I probably should give some context here. So, you your family, how long ago did you guys just like like set fire to the house and and get yes. out of there, <laughs> sell everything? Uh, we sold everything and got out of almost three years ago. Okay, yeah. And did so you like traveling. You, you remodeled the RV yourself? You did it, or, or how did how did that work? No, it's a it's a new RV. So we bought okay. our RV new. We actually sold our house um, on January. What was it? We closed on like January, or was it December? I don't remember. January fifteenth, and then we bought the RV on January sixteenth. I think is how it worked. Uh, like we drove to the RV place, and we weren't even planning to buy it that day, but. The money was in the bank and we were like, okay. So yeah, we sold almost everything. We have like one small storage place that we have stuff, but otherwise we don't, everything we have travels with us everywhere we go. And all my photo stuff takes up like 80% of our storage in our RV and in my truck. I actually have a special toolbox on my truck that holds like all my modifiers and stands and stuff. Don't tell anybody that, but um yeah, secret, it's, your it's, secret safe. It's, Nobody listens to stash. this podcast. No, right? shh, good. Mm-hmm. I heard that, so I, I feel no. comfortable sharing secrets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was a, definitely an interesting. We just decided, and let's well, see, it went really fast. It was we decided, I think, in September. Then in October, I remodeled almost like eighty percent of the house myself. Uh, while I was shooting, which was like total insanity. Um, then by like November, we were looking at getting people, getting somebody to list it. We listed it in December. It sold in one day, then oh closed in a wow. month. So from front to back, from like selling everything to being in an RV full time, it took about three months for us, uh, which is funny because that's not what people recommend, but it's, it's we felt we felt like it was time. We felt like it was time to go and we just did it. So, hmm. okay. So give me some context here. I mean that you just said it, you just said you felt like it was time. I mean, 
clearly we were like, I want to talk to you about your work and your photography and, and how all of that has been informed over the last several years of this. But like, why? Why, why just say we got to get out of here? Yeah. I, a lot of it had to do with burnout and exhaustion. I mean, I was at that point in my career, I was working probably a hundred plus hours a week and uh, had been doing that for months on end. And it was kind of the thing where I just couldn't hang anymore. And so I remember it like, it was, it's pretty cool. Like one of the things, and, and I'll say this on any podcast that I'm on, is like my wife has just been a huge catalyst for uh, support and change. And so when we sit down together and even here, like we joke, we walk in the RV park all the time and um, have these conversations. And she realized it was just kind of, it was too much, you know, and it was getting to the point where like I couldn't sustain it anymore. And so we made the choice to drop all of my retouching clients because I was retouching a ton as well as shooting a ton. And that was like a, I mean, it was a pretty big blow. I mean, it was like a six figure blow where it was just, we decided in one month that we're going to drop all these clients because it was just too much. And then after that, we started talking about how it would be more sustainable and not be so pressure filled. And it was like, well, we could sell our house and we wouldn't have any debt and we wouldn't have any, you know, real strong commitments. And so we did. And really we went to, we went up to Vail, which was awesome and had like a family getaway. We were just like no phones really and hang out and decided, and we talked to the kids about it a little bit. They were pretty young at that point, but you know, we try to include them in our decisions and we're just like, I think we're going to sell our house. We're going to move into an RV. And the kids were like, sure, let's do it. And it was really looking back. I don't think I could have realized what a perfect age they were at because they were two, four and six. Um, but now seeing it, it's like my two-year-old doesn't actually remember our house. And so now he's almost five, uh, which is just insane because he's pretty much grown up in an RV traveling around. And it has. I mean, it's bought, I mean, my kids associate, um, we were just talking about this yesterday, my kids, especially my youngest, associates work with like dads who are not home. Um, because I work, but I'm here all the time. And when I go on, especially like when we're in LA or whatever, I go on a set and it's kind of rad because it's like I can go into Hollywood, shoot a 14 hour day, but I'm still home for bedtime. Yeah, and my four-year-old's coming, going on five-year-old, just like doesn't know the difference. You know, it's like this is what I do, and they'll see my work somewhere sometimes. But it's kind of like, uh, don't don't ever get a job, Dad, because then you'll be gone, and that'd be terrible. And so, in that way, it's been a huge, huge success. It's it's hard because we're traveling all the time, but at the same time, we spend a lot of time together and have a lot of great moments where we just get to sit and be a family, which is huge. I know this doesn't have anything to do with photography, but this is, yeah, this is kind of how we landed where we landed and why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. I don't think it needs to have anything to do with photography. In fact, actually I would, I would disagree though. I mean, think of the hot button conversations right now, right? The, the, the term, like the key term that came out of, of 2020 was imposter syndrome, right? Everybody felt like they were mm -hmm. faking it. And then we all got back to work and we all got back to work too hard. And then the key term that came out of 2021 and into 22 was burnout. Yeah. And you know what, you, what you've done from what I can hear, right? What you've done is you've insulated yourself from both of those things. Maybe even after having experienced a little bit, but like you've insulated yourself and said like, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my core character value, like my ethos is going to be my family um, and home is going to be family. And, uh, and like, you know, location may change, but, but your role in that home doesn't change. Uh, dude, talk about something that like the world at large needs to hear from a dad. Yeah, dude. And it's so hard because like this idea of imposter syndrome and it's, and overworking and all these different things, it's a very, it's so real and it doesn't go away. You know, it's not 
we've we've tried really hard to set up and set aside family and say this is the most important thing um but it's still i think for me there'll be moments when I, I, so backing up a little bit, one of the things that we did was we got completely out of debt. And so we don't have any thing. There's nothing hanging over me. That's like, I remember that just the fear of losing our house, you know, and, and going through those times in your career when it's like, I don't have enough money. How are we going to do this? And as a freelancer, we're constantly going through that. It's like all of a sudden jobs dry up. We don't have the work that we thought we did or you know look at a pandemic situation when it was like you had five jobs lined up and then all of them went away overnight and so that has been so freeing but at the same time because of the world we live in and all of the different media and all the different things that I'm seeing all the time or talking to people it's like sometimes I won't have work for a few months and we're okay but at the same time you're looking at it and you're like I'm not, I'm doing something wrong or I'm failing in some way. And it's really tough. It's, it's the type of thing where, and again, my wife is like a a foundation and huge for this, but it's this thing where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, which like comparison is the thief of joy, right? That, that saying sticks with me so much, but you look at it and it's like, man, I, how come I'm not working as much as this person or how come I'm not? And, and sometimes it'll take joy, my wife, just to say like, well, you, we, we chose not to do that. And so this is, you have to know that this is going to be, we're going to go through these lulls and these ups and downs. And for her to say, Hey, it's okay. And also we're here and we're like, our family slogan is it's okay. Even if it's not okay, it's still okay. Um, and that's just our way of saying like, Hey, it's not always going to be roses. It's not always going to be easy. And, but we're still together and we're still a family and that's still the most important thing. And I want to be here with my kids growing up and, and it's that delicate balance of like going back through burnout and going back through these times of overworking yourself and all that stuff. Um, yeah, because our, our our field, especially of freelancers, just lends itself to that of just like grind yourself into the ground and no one cares, you know, clients don't care about that. It's not, it's like, hey, you got to get the work done. And there, oh, there'll be times, like we just did a shoot and we were doing overnights, you know, and it's like <laughs> to coming out, out of that and going into back into just normal life is, is tough. And so, yeah, it's always this delicate balance. I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is just comparison to other people of looking at, we, Joy and I were just having this conversation yesterday where it's just like, I see these people and they're so busy and they have these huge shoots and all this stuff. And I'm like, I have, I don't have anything right now. And the temptation is to look at that and then just throw myself into trying to get more work the flip side to that coin and what I've had to really learn and I'm still learning I like I hope that the one thing I want to convey is that this is not something that like yeah I sold my house and I carefree and foot loose and it's like whatever I don't care if I don't work it's like no I, I do care and it's hard it's hard for me to see other people work and me not work but then the thing that that can really do which can really derail me is if I'm not present with my kids, if I'm not present with my wife, because I'm thinking about, man, I don't have work or I should be working or I I need this, that will destroy this time that we have. And so it's just this huge, as a dad, as a father, it's just like, man, you want to provide for your kids and you want to make sure. And like, we're okay right now, but it's always that like, oh, in three months, what are we going to do? And it's, um, I heard somebody say, a friend of mine, Tyler, and it's just like so wise was worry almost exclusively lives in the future. And so we're looking to the future to say like, how do I, what's going on? You have this right in front of you. You have this meal and you're looking at this bread that hasn't even been baked. You don't have the ingredients for, 
but you have this right in front of you. But instead, you worry about how you're going to get everything together for what's coming. And so that's been really, I think that's been the biggest struggle for me, especially this year. And like, we've been really busy and I've had a lot of work, but I, as soon as I have a lull, I just go straight back into, well, but what if, but what if, you know, it's like, oh man, what if another client doesn't call and this weird, irrational fear of like never working again. And I was talking to some other creatives about that, which is really, it's interesting because it seems like we're all going through these ideas, but we're not talking about them very much, which is kind of weird. It's like, there's imposter syndrome, yes, but there's also this like, irrational fear that grips creatives of like i'm never working again it's this one it's this extreme one extreme or the other right you're you're working you're exhausted and then the moment you don't get a call it's like that's it my career's over that's a bummer i mean that was like such a good run and it doesn't make any sense to feel that way but for some reason it does so i don't know and I, um, any, anybody that's listening, number one, if you haven't slowed down and, and already kind of like reround, do it. Back up the last 10 minutes and, and listen to this again. Um, Aaron, I, I bet you haven't heard last week's episode yet, but I actually say in last week's episode, it's a little clip from the workshop that we just released from Superhuman, where I make this statement that basically says, like, you're throughout portions of your creative career, you are often going to find yourself in, in one of two camps. You're either going to have not enough work uh, or too much work. But the interesting thing is the results of both of those camps are almost identical. Like if you don't have enough work, you're anxious and you're angsty and you feel insecure and you don't feel creative. And if you have too much work, you're anxious and you're insecure and you're angsty and you don't feel creative. And so, you know, like the creative's battle is not success, it's balance, it's it's finding that 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 route in which you can you can feel inspired to create at the appropriate times, but then you can also be present, you know, and and uh, and capable of accepting moments when maybe you're not inspired to create. I think that probably segues us like perfectly then into in, into us talking about your work because the 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 reality here is the reason I ask so much about your story is because I read an interview um, about you, and I, I forgive me, I couldn't even tell you where it is. But in doing some research about this chat, I, I read an interview where they talked about you as this like um, very intentional storyteller. Like you're very inspired by by the cinema and you know by story. And I think it shows in your work probably um, more than any other, well, with maybe a few exceptions. I would say like Joey L is in that camp as well. But your your work is so informed from a story perspective, and yet you're still shooting commercial work, right? Like not documentary work. So I want, back me up for a little bit and like walk me into your early, uh, your early career because most commercial photographers they, I feel like they have a few lily pads to get there. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of lily pads. <laughs> I mean, um, I would say the short answer to that question, and I'll dive into kind of my journey a little bit, but the short answer to that question is that I really arrived at photography because I love people. And that's what I really cared about when it came to a career. Um, I'm not this person that, and it's funny because I say this often, but I didn't arrive at photography till very much later in life. I mean, I had had over 20 jobs. By the time I found photography, I had multiple what you would call careers. I mean, I was a real estate agent. Um, I was a scuba diving instructor. I managed a scuba diving store. Um These are like, I had a lot of things that I had already done, but the driver for everything that I did was, does this job involve time with other people? And is there going to be time where I'm going to be able to sit down and talk to these people and have experiences that allow me to engage with this person? And the answer most of the time was no. I mean, sometimes it was just a job of necessity and it was like, I remember so going all the way back to when I started going to college. I've dropped out of three different colleges now. But uh, when I first started going to college, 
I went for landscape architecture. And I was like, the reason why, and I was 18 at the time, you know, the reason why I went into landscape architecture is because in my mind, I thought landscape architecture would be a time where I would sit down with people and, and we would imagine together what their yard would be like. And then I would make a couple sketches, whatever, and we'd plant trees. <laughs> like, I, as unrealistic as that was. And in one semester, I go out to school. I was at Temple University. And it was like, oh, we, you don't really spend time with people. It was mostly just like CAD. And I was like, I'm out. Thanks for playing. I didn't realize this was just CAD drawing. And that kind of spun me down this road of like, I had this belief after that of, and I still do, of going and trying a job before you make it a career, quote unquote. And so I started trying different things and I would go do a job for a little while and then I'd find out I was just in the back like I was a bike mechanic for a little while. If you didn't spend time with customers, you just worked on their bikes. And every job was just an informative thing. And the thing about real estate, and that was the same thing, real estate, oh, this has got to be the type of thing where you're just with people and you're out and you're, and it was not, it was a, it was money. Like everybody just wanted money. And I was like, I'm not about this life. Like you're coming to me, you just, I, you're, want to trust me with money I want to make money off of you and people were like I had sold a couple of houses and like I found out later that after I left they were fighting over my desk because it was like lucky because they wanted to sell more houses like it was so cutthroat and so nasty um sorry to all you real estate agents out there um but through a weird and I always say this because it's so true but I bought my wife a camera for her birthday and then just like promptly stole it because I was just like, Oh, this is really fun. Like I can, I, I enjoy this. And then I, uh, my friend, Zach Shellhammer, who's just a rad guy. I always mention him cause he's just worth following and he's just such a cool person. Um, took me out. I remember we went to Cheyenne Canyon and he gave me this like really crappy lens, but I thought it was amazing. <laughs> And he told me, always shooting raw and always shooting manual. And I did not know what he was talking about, but I, that's what I did. I was like, okay, I switched my camera to raw. I switched it to manual and he showed me how to use it. And I'm fast forwarding here pretty, pretty quickly through the steps, but uh, I loved it. And then I got a reflector, just as a big, like six foot, or it was a small circle reflector or whatever they... And I was just blown away. I was like, man, you can create your own lights. It's like insane. And then I bought a speed light. And that even blew me away even more because I did the I would do these crazy shoots with, you know, families or whatever and, and throw up these flashes. I had no idea what I was doing, but it just was awesome to have lights. And then I remember I remember this conversation with Joy, and this is you'll see is just a as a artery of my whole life slash career is I sit down with Joy. And I remember asking this question. I said, do people actually make a living doing this? Because it seems unrealistic. Like I could take this camera and then I can like use lights and take pictures. And and for me, it was always this, uh, not an idea of like family portraits or weddings or anything like that. It was always like I saw Vogue or I saw key art for a movie or whatever and saw these big bold stories and was like man this is how does a person do something like that this seems crazy and joy's response says like it's like i don't know but we could certainly try you know and so i actually went through the process of getting accepted into a school in um and backing up a little bit too school is a very interesting topic i don't think we need to flush that out here but school for me was a way to gain access to things that I wouldn't otherwise have access to so in my world I knew I wanted to learn lighting I knew I wanted to learn studio I knew I wanted to be using all of these tools and this equipment and I knew that I couldn't afford any of it and so going to a school that had all that stuff was really really important to me for from for my eyes from my career and so I got accepted into the school in Boston 
and we were trying to find housing and it was super expensive. And I was taking out, it was like private loans and all these weird things. And in the meantime, uh, we have a lot of family and friends in California and I would, we would go back, Joy and I would go back all the time to go and see them. And so we actually were going back. So Joy was traveling with the um, US Olympic cycling team at the time. So she was down in San Diego at Chula Vista and then I, I flew into Northern California to kind of hang out with my friend slash mentor and was like, hey, we're just coming to say goodbye. We're moving to Boston, you know, so on and so forth. And I, we were sitting down at this picnic table in Pleasanton and he looks at me and he goes, you know, I think you should call my friend John. Like, regardless, I know you're accepted, but you should call my friend John. He works at um, the Academy of Art and we should just, you should talk to him because I think you might be interested in this. And so I call him, we talk, and he's like, yeah, you should go look at the school. He's like, if nothing else, just go look at this place. And so the next day, I drove into the Academy of Art, and I loved it. It's just this amazing place of creativity. It's And their campus, I mean, say what you will about the Academy of Art, their campus is awesome, and it's like, all over San Francisco. And so it was just this creative hodgepodge and they had all different kinds of gear and all different kinds of things that you could check out and use and so on and so forth. And so I called Joy and I was like, hey, man, I think we're moving to California. And so we actually ended up scrapping everything in Boston. And then two months later, we moved to California and we live with Nathan, who's my mentor slash friend and his family. And it was like him in there. Let's see, they had five kids at the time. So it was us, them, and their five kids. And then they had, um, they have eight now, and they had one more while we were there. And so it was just like this very special time of school. And Joy was traveling and doing some awesome things with the Olympic teams. And then um, I was going to school in San Francisco, and so it was just this really cool. And I ended up going there for two years, and then got out, and went as became a full time retoucher at a firm in San Francisco, which really also shaped my career in different ways. I feel like I'm just talking a ton, but that would that would kind of land us. Uh, I don't know. It kind of lands the plane. But I started my career as a retoucher, which was also huge. I, it made a huge difference, especially in commercial photography, to see like the nuts and bolts of what happens and that photographers aren't superheroes. Uh, they take teams of people to create the work they create. And the sooner you can realize that, the better. Um, and so for me, seeing the work that we ingested, it was like, oh, okay, this is just fine. And, but when we're done with it, it's great. And it looks like an ad. And so knowing that retouching shapes the voice of photographers, that it, it can give them a look and feel that they did not have when it came out of the camera, which is really interesting to me. That was a super interesting lesson. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that was my movement into photography. And then I figured out as we, we ended up moving back to Colorado Springs and I ended up working at the dive shop and retouching at the same time. And then that became way too much. And I started just retouching and shooting full time. And then that kind of leads us to present day where it got so overwhelming with all the work. Um, and we were having kids during that time. So we have three kids now. And so it's just like, man, okay. All I do is shoot now. And, it, and it's awesome. And I still, my work is shaped by retouching because that's where my path led me. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, I still going out of the retouching game, like I still had clients who were school schoolmates and it was like none of them learned retouching because it's just kind of a different skill set. Um, and it's not my favorite thing in the world to do, but it certainly gives me a voice and it allows me to shape my own work because I see it from front to back, which is not as common, especially in commercial photography. Um, but that's kind of been how I got here. And now realizing what I love about photography is that I get to spend time with people. And that is huge because I 
am able to engage with, whether it's just a talent that I met that morning or it's these athletes who I get to tell their stories with them. I, I sit down and we have coffee and we'll talk for hours and then we plan the shoot and then we do something together. It's not this thing where they just show up and I randomly take photos that kind of relate to their story. It's like, I want to be a part of your story before we move into telling your story. And so, yeah, it's that, it's like almost my way of cheating my career to say like, what I really want to be doing is sitting down with people and having coffee with them. So (laughs) I'm going to put that in as like a requirement for doing a photo shoot. And then we do a photo shoot together and now I know more about you and I get to experience this with you and tell your story. And it's an honor to me to say like, hey, I trust you to tell my story in a way that's going to show the world who I am and um, their accomplishments and what they're, what they're going through because it's, a lot of it's really hard. And we've done some pretty raw shoots with some athletes. And they typically appreciate this idea of like, hey, I'd like to know your story, not just this weird version of what the world wants to see about you, you know? Hey guys, interrupting this episode really quick because guys, I have to get ready to go to lunch. Uh, And that's just being honest. I'm headed to lunch here in just a few minutes, regardless of what time you're listening to this, uh, with my buddy Steve from Bedford Camera. And it occurs to me that I haven't plugged Bedford's in a while. Bedford Camera is the largest family-owned camera retailer in the country. Y'all, from the very jump of of my career, I have purchased every single accessory and camera uh, that that I've ever bought has come from Bedford Camera. Y'all, they're good friends of mine. They're remarkably uh, invested in the educational space as well as just creating a space for our industry uh, where photography can just flourish. So hey, click over to bedfords.com. Use the code MWB. That's MWB for 5% cash back on absolutely everything. Y'all, that's straps, accessories, cameras, lenses, bags, memory cards, hard drives, everything you can imagine, 5% cash back. Yeah, it's. It, I think it. I think it leads leads us really well. I you're you're interviewing yourself right now, which is fascinating. <laughs> um, but I mean that in in actually in a, in a great way. I think it, it speaks to your work. You have a process. You have a creative process. It's fun to watch, Aaron. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I, I spend my whole life now. Um, like you, right? I spend my whole life psychoanalyzing people. This is just what we do. The camera, by the time the camera run, comes up, you typically have at least a, uh, a perspective on what, what is going to happen next, right? Yeah, but yes. what's remarkable about your work to me is something that you just spoke to. I, I think I, I see commercial photographers and freelancers and uh, you know at, at all spectrums um, of talent, but there's something about your work that is remarkably finished. I mean, it is like, it's absolutely, I don't know how else to put it, but to say that it's not just beautifully crafted, it has the garnish on top as well. And every shoot feels individually crafted. Every, Every story feels individually shaped. And yet it all ends up with that same little piece of like parsley on top that's become a signature to you. Yeah. So- so give us some advice because you're you, the the majority of um, of the listeners. This is becoming fascinating. We've we've got a really global. It's really odd. It, we're we're like trending in Europe in like weird countries in Europe. So thanks That's for awesome. listening. But yeah. but the majority of people that that we're that we're chatting, we're hearing from are are filmmakers and uh, and designers, and then obviously photographers. All of us are striving to find a way to put our story into our work, to inform our work by our story and to have that little like that little garnish on top. So help us out a little bit there. Like how is it that you created enough patience to tell your clients stories and enough discipline to allow yours to be a part of them? Man, that's a great question. I, I wish I had a solid answer for you. I think um, for me, I think it's about creating a space where they feel safe to have their story told in an intimate way. And I 
think that has a lot to do with trust. Uh, and that's a, it's an interesting thing because with the stuff where I get to work with athletes and I get to sit down with them, we get to have coffee and I get to be a part of their story for a, a small period of time. And it's like, it's, it, that is a lot more intimate. And then you go to the commercial side of things. And it's interesting <coughs> that you say this because it's even on the last creative call I had with a really big client, they were like, one of the things we like is that your work feels like the people connect with the camera. And that's an honor, but it's also sometimes you get on set and it's like, this is talent. You know what I mean? This is, I'm not telling your story. I'm telling a story and we have to somehow make it feel believable for the people who are looking at it. And what I've really found is one, because of the caliber of work, they trust you, right? So if a if talent has seen your work, which most of the time they have, then they're, they're going to trust you a little bit more because of the way your work feels. Fair. But, but two, it is possible, and I believe it's possible to create these connections very quickly in a way that we are all of a sudden just like a part of a story together and can go through it and we can engage. And granted, it, the professional level when you were working with this talent where they can engage in a story but I always will sit down with them meet them talk to them and say like do you understand what we're trying to do because this is what we're trying to say and here's what I need from you to make this feel right and let's work on this together let's get get through this and allowing them to kind of have their bad frames. I always believe you're going to have some bad frames to go. Um, and then just say like, okay, we're going to get into this moment where you're going to feel more comfortable and get in your moments. And we're going to, I'm going to talk to you. I talk a lot during my shoots, maybe too much sometimes, but I am like constantly talking to them about how it feels and how it's looking and all these different things. And then on top of that, we show them. I mean, I think showing the talent, the work and showing the people that I work with the work as it's coming through is important. It's a little nerve wracking because sometimes it's not, you know, even though maybe it's not your best or you don't think it's that great, but to help them see that you're portraying them in a way that's honorable and that is cool, I think helps them to be even more confident with you as a photographer or as a videographer to say like, man, look at this, this is radical. And for you to be excited about it, for the client to be excited about it, for the talent to be excited about it um, and help this kind of engagement. And I think, I, I mean, I don't know, Miles, I, for me, it's like, I love people. I really do. And it's fascinating to me to be able to work with them. And I, I, I don't know how to teach you that. I don't know how to teach somebody else that. But when I sit down with a person and I can tell a story and be a part of this thing, it's amazing to me. And I think it's not just... I think this is a good thing to bring up. It's, it's, an, it's not just about that one person either. So like... On a big set, there's all these components, there's all these pieces, there's art department, there's hair, there's makeup, there's stylist, there's wardrobe, there's client, there's all these different things. And I think as a photographer, one of the things I love and I cherish is that it's my responsibility that every one of those people feels loved and feels taken care of in that moment. Because if they all feel that way, everything's going to go better. So if the art department feels heard, they're going to try harder. If your hair and makeup feel appreciated, they're going to be willing to come back on set and fix the flyaway. And then if your talent feels like they look good and they feel good, which is why it's so important for me, like who I work with in hair and makeup and all these different things. But as a whole, one of the things I love about photography is that I get to be in this awesome world with all these amazing, talented artists and I get to work with them and we get to make something together that we're all proud of. And that's my goal. I mean, my goal is to put something out because at the end of the day, right? You have hair, you have makeup, you have talent, you have art department, you have all these different things. 
And they're kind of relying on you to put something out that does them justice to say like, hey, we needed you and we appreciated you doing what you did because without you, I can't do my job well. That collaborative creativity is so powerful. It's so huge. It's so huge. And so that to me has been the way I've shaped my career is, is around people. And we tell these stories together. We go through these things together. And when everyone's excited and everyone's doing their best, it's when I think the most beautiful things come out of the camera. And I take some credit for that, but like, I'm just a piece of it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy pushing the button at the end of the day. And, uh, I want everyone to feel like they had a hand and that they were important and that they were heard and that they were loved during this set and this process. I mean, it's, I know it kind of sounds a little cheesy, but it's like, for me, that's where, that's where my heart is when I'm going into a set. And that's my prayer over the set is like, man, can I be in a place where it's not about me, right? It's, it's about us making something together. It sounds super new agey, but it's not, it's, it's for me, it's just like how I, I want people to feel on my sets. Um, so that's where we've always been is kind of this place of, I learned from a friend in school, actually this guy named Scott, who's such a cool guy. And um, he's from Korea and was taught me that every set is a professional set. And so we always had every, even in school, we had hair, we had makeup, we had everything that you would have on a pro set. And that to me, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. We act like this real because it is real and everybody needs to be appreciated and everybody needs to feel loved and like they're seen and heard and that we're creating, not just for me, we're creating for everybody involved and it's important. Probably one of the most powerful things I think that has been said seriously on this podcast and in now 48 episodes uh, is, is that, is that, that concept of that proactive empathy where you're looking around and saying like my title as photographer um, it, it may like your, your resume may say photographer, but that doesn't limit itself to camera operator, mm-hmm. right? Like your, your role and subsequently the work that comes through your camera is completely reliant on, on the relationships of the people around you and whether or not they trust you to do, you know, the best job that you can. But then this is where I think people get it so wrong, whether or not you trust them to mm-hmm. fill in the gaps for the places that you know that that you may be, you know, whether you're you're inadequate in that shoot or you just don't have the knowledge yet, or listen, this just isn't a strong suit. I mean, and um, relying, leaning on people like that is such a special. It's such a special thing. I think I, I'll, I'll tell you the the people that are listening right now. I, I sincerely hope you guys that you're slowing down enough to look at yourself from not ten thousand feet, but from six inches. And say like, would I want to work with me? Because mm. Aaron, I mean, dude, everything that you just explained, all I could think through was I would love, I would love to be, I mean, I haven't been a grip on set and I don't know how long, but like, I would love to see that. I'd love to be a lighting tech. I'd love to sit behind a laptop and feel loved by the photographer. Like I would love, I would love to be that makeup artist or to be that. And then but then the, the truth of the matter is then I'm immediately struck. And I, I don't have a problem saying this. I spent a lot of my life shooting commercial work. I'm immediately struck by how many sets I have been on where I have been the guy that has been sitting there like so frustrated because hair and makeup is taking, you know, we're, we're 45 minutes past call. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I hired this light tech because everybody said he was incredible. And yet here I am t- touching the light stand. Why should I, I shouldn't even be touching these lights, right? It's amazing how I'm going to say a statement here that I hope you take as an ultimate compliment. It's amazing how remarkable your work is and how little credit you take for it. Um, that's a, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I mean, and I think, I think one of the things I want to say, like in these moments, like when I'm receiving compliments from somebody like you, like uh, it's hard for me to take them. Like I'm not great at taking compliments or even like winning things or awards or, you know, whatever. Um, Like it's always been a hard thing for me. 
I just, I don't know why, but it's just something I struggle through. Um, so I do, I mean, I appreciate you saying that and I appreciate that coming from you. And, um, yeah, it's just, I think because it's about people and also because photography is just photography at the end of the day, I don't have some weird idea that like I'm saving the world with what I'm doing, you know? And if I walk away from my sets and, and someone feels belittled or someone feels small because of my behavior or because of who I was, that's not, that's not the legacy that I want to leave. I, I, you know, when I was talking, I was actually talking to Stacy from Fujifilm about this is like, I want my, I want my kids to be proud of me. Um, and I want that reputation to be not just because I took good pictures, right. But because I cared about the people that I worked with and that I worked for. And I think one of the things that we don't really look at sometimes as photographers is we are actually the leader. So on that set, you are the leader. This is your, you're in control, quote unquote. You're the quarterback. And it will reflect you. <laughs> your set reflects you. And that's really, that's really humbling to look around and say like, what's happening right now is a reflection of me. And so if, if everyone's tense and people are angry and people are frustrated and, you know, that's something that I am helping to perpetuate. Um, it's funny you talk about tech because techs, like I have this tech and he is just like one of my, he's one of my favorite people to have on set. And we laugh. There has been moments when I'm laughing so hard behind the camera that I actually have to like tell him to stop because I'm my camera's shaking, you know? And just knowing that he is just such a cool guy. And my, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be pretty loyal. And so it's like, once I have a team of people that I love to work with, I, I try to keep them close. Um, because it is hard to find people that you trust so much. And it's like, I don't even, I, I think I'm less about like, are you the best? Or is more as like, are you a cool person to hang around? And I say that a lot about for people who are starting out with clients is a lot of times by the time you get to the client, if they, if you're showing your portfolio or whatever it is, and they've said yes to a meeting with you, they care less about the work that you're about to show them and more about how you act when you're sitting there with them because they're going to have to spend a lot of time with you if they end up hiring you. And if you suck, it's important for them to know that. And I think that, you know, 80% of what they're trying to gauge in these meetings is like, do I actually want to be with you as opposed to, can you do the work? Because it's kind of already solidified at that point too. Yeah, you can do the work, but do I actually want to do the work with you is another thing. And so, yeah, I guess that's my... I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the compliments and it's just kind of one of those things where I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I see my work the way that other people do. It's like, I love what I do and I love taking pictures and I, I, I mean to even it, like for me, when you said Joey L, I'm like, oh, that, this guy's like, that's somewhere else. And that's not where I put myself in any way, shape or form um, because he's somebody that I look up to. And I like the way he tells stories, the ways that he lights, the way that he was willing to take lights somewhere unexpected um, and bring a story to people that maybe hasn't been told before. Uh, it's just incredible. You know, people like that are incredible to me. And I, I'm always, when people are asking me to do interviews or whatever, I'm just like, okay, well, sure, I guess I'll do an interview with you. Um, and I think it has some to do with imposter syndrome and then some to me just to be with like, I, I literally, when people say like, oh, I, I'm like, oh, you're, I'm like, I'm just a dude with a camera. I literally feel that way. I'm not, I'm, I don't feel, that's not spectacular. I just bring a camera and I go and I, I take pictures of people and that's what I get to do. And so I guess, I, I don't know. I'm, I think I, maybe I downplay it too much in my own mind, but that's, it's, it's odd for me to even hear you say somebody like Joey L in the same podcast as me or 
like even just from we when we were with Fujifilm, like hanging out with Michael Clark, who's an amazing photographer, um, and Jan Gonzalez and these guys, it's like, man, it's incredible to even be in the same room, let alone sit down and have conversations with them and talk and be in the same worlds and have the same clients and things. It's incredible to me. And it's very humbling because I don't know. I'm like, my journey is kind of a rolling stone. You know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> this is here I am. And I stole my wife's camera and now I'm shooting with these incredible people. So it's incredible to me and it's humbling to me and I don't totally understand it. Um, I just know that it, it's special for me to be a part of it. And I appreciate that. I mean, I, I do think it is something that people, um, you know, as we start to kind of like wrap this up, I think it's something that people are constantly curious about. I've, I've hinted to it a, a little bit when I've been interviewed. Um, but I, I, there's this fascination with um, the artists that we look up to. Like, we just got to hear it out of your mouth. Like, what, you know, the idea of like what Joey L creates, right? But, but the truth of the matter is that my assumption is, now I don't know him, but um, my assumption is that it's probably not all that different than, you know, like you walking up behind me at, uh, at the Fujifilm Summit and, you know, us technically meeting for the first time um, but there we are sitting with, with Renzi and Allison Conklin and, um, and Paul Van Reeder and, and Stacy Moore and Victor Ha and people that are, that are literally shaping and driving the future of the photo industry right alongside the thought leaders, the, the people that are, um, that are creating the images that are affecting the style of what is, what is coming and what is happening and, You've got, you know, you've got Derek Fossbender, who's not only remarkably talented, but also like the voice of BNH. You've got, I mean, just everybody in one room. And you know what is always fascinating to me, Aaron, is, you know, within usually an hour of being in that room where everything feels very technical and very like exclusive. And, you know, do you have your credentials to get in here and all of that stuff? Within an hour, usually we're all sitting at a dive bar drinking crappy beer and nobody around us knows who the heck we are. Um, and so I think, I think to sum up everything that you just said, it's that, you know, for, for all of this success and all this perspective and all the, the time that you've spent working on your family, working on your story and creating value to your work, man, all of the credentials and all of the exclusivity, just a few minutes later, Dude, your dad, and you're tucking those kids in bed, and uh, I mean, let's be honest. What's what could possibly be more important than that? And also, I think kids bring great perspective because my kids, they know what I do, and they see everything that I do. Right? They see all the work um, come through and go uh, while I'm retouching it, and all these different things. Um, and we'll watch sometimes we get to watch the athletes on the Olympics and uh, like Michaela Mayer is one that we've worked with a few times. And so she's, you know, fighting for another title, I think on the fifth, the 15th. Yeah. Um, and we'll watch and we'll be like, Oh, it's Miss Michaela. And, but at the same time, what they really care about is that I am there to put them to bed. And, one of the things I was telling Joy, and I think is like a really interesting, it's a good perspective shaper because we, one of the biggest shoots that I've and just loved doing was we did a big shoot uh, on a Hollywood backlot where we had four sets built and like it was an amazing team, amazing. Like I had always wanted to work on a Hollywood backlot and it just so worked out with this client that it was like, this was the best way to do this. And I just remember two things struck to me. And uh, I think this is a good way to close too. The first thing was I was driving into Los Angeles, into Hollywood and looking at all these people around me because there's a lot of people on the road in Los Angeles. And I was thinking to myself, I bet you a lot of these people aren't that excited to be driving into Hollywood right now or Los Angeles right now. And that is such a cool thing to be like, I'm going into a town 
that is just an industry place, but I know I'm excited about what I'm doing. And I am so pumped to be able to go in and do this with this client at this location. And the second thing was at the end of the day, I'd get home around nine and the kids stay up and I put my kids to bed and they didn't ask me anything about a photo shoot or the client or <laughs> however, how everything went. It was really important that I was home and that was all that mattered. It wasn't that I did a photo shoot. It wasn't that I had a big client. It wasn't that, the, you know, they're going to see these in Target or whatever. It was that I was home. And so those two perspectives, it's like, wow, what, how privileged, like what a, a huge blessing that somehow I landed in a place where I drive into do something I've always wanted to do and love it and then come home to kids who don't care about that and love me. And it's like those two things, you can't, I can't, I can plan that. I, I wish I could take more credit for it than I, I have, but it's like, man, to be able to know that I have this opportunity to go take pictures and then come home and be a dad and not, I don't know, just, what a freeing thing to understand that I've been given that. And I tell Joy, like, sometimes if I woke up tomorrow and for some reason I could never take pictures again, at least I got to do it for this time. Because it's pretty special to be able to say that this is what I did. And I think it's also great that my kids kind of keep me on the ground and say, like, cool, that's neat that you did that. But also... <laughs> You need to be here because that's the most important thing for us. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get, I get you, you know? Dude, I, uh, you're, you're going to laugh at this. I think uh, everything you just, everything you just said is so my life. It's ridiculous. I'm sitting here mm -hmm. looking, uh, no kidding. I'm sitting here looking at my, my six-year-old's teddy bear that he sets on my desk every day. Uh, uh -huh. He sneaks in here before we leave for school and puts it on my desk so that I get to spend the day with Big Bear because he doesn't want Big Bear to be alone. He doesn't want me to be alone. Uh -huh. Oh, that's um, great. But kind of laugh. I, I got home from a wedding a few weeks ago and it was a, a black tie, a very high end black tie wedding. And I actually took, everybody that's laughing is going to roll their eyes at this, but I took two tuxedos because it was hot. And I knew I was going to sweat through a shirt. I just didn't, right. this is a high end clientele. I wanted to be kind of fresh. So right. like during dinner, I snuck away and I like literally changed tuxedos. And everybody that's judging that's me great. right now, they looked the same. It's not like I came back out with another look. <laughs> Um, Mariah, you Mariah Carey that's what you should have done <laughs> um, it just just flipped the yeah. anyway but I uh, I got home late right I mean like I'm a wedding photographer so I get in at, I never make bedtime you just made me feel yeah. really bad about myself but anyway so <laughs> sorry, sorry I get in at like midnight and like pour myself out of the the car and you know drop my gear and climb into bed and the next morning we're leaving to go, uh, I think we headed off to church or something. And, and my son opens up the back door and he, the funniest statement, my six-year-old opens up the back door and he is so annoyed at me because he's like, dad, your tuxedo's in my high chair again. <laughs> and I'm like, what life is this? That like yeah. my, my six-year-old has... So like you, to your point, so little perspective on what I do for a living Yeah, that all he cares about is that like dad's in the backyard for soccer practice and we get to play, we get to have fun and, and like, you know, me and Big Bear spend the day together and the things that annoy him are when I leave my extra tuxedo in his car seat. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Like the, your, to your point, just the level of perspective that having priorities in the right place will give. All right. And that's a wrap, you guys. What an episode. Am I right? I mean, if you are listening right now with just a, 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 a like half grin on your face, you're welcome. 
Aaron, Aaron just brought so much wisdom to this conversation. And uh, guys, I'm still just, just blown away. I can't wait to listen again myself, to be honest. Hey, if you liked this episode or love this podcast or just want to be awesome, can you do me a favor? Can you make sure that you subscribe to us over in the Apple uh, podcast app? And please, please give us a five-star review. In fact, every review, no matter how short it is, drives new listeners into our community. It just means the world to me personally. Also, if you haven't checked out our sister podcast, uh, which is called Cutting on Action with Brandon Bucheri. Please, please go do that. It is just an absolutely remarkable conversation for filmmakers, but also just business owners and entrepreneurs, creatives all alike. Lastly, our uh, our guest, uh, our, our rating, our review of the day. I'm going to read one because we've, we've gotten a few in lately that have just meant the world to me. So as I stumble over my words, I'm going to read this review from Alex5180. Alex says, this podcast holds some of the most important conversations had in the photo industry. Beauty, motivation, purpose, intentionality, struggle, and inspiration. In a world of constant fluff, attention-seeking, talking heads, trends, and gear reviews, Miles has created something different. The Photographic Collective Podcast is a place for intentional, purpose-driven conversations that cut straight to the important things that we can often overlook. You need to listen to this. Alex, dude, I couldn't agree more, but I want to I want to deflect. I, I'm so grateful that you would put this on me and this review on me, but I want to def- deflect to our incredible guests and just the community over at the Photographic Collective in our Facebook group, as well as photographic-collective.com. You guys are the reason for the intentionality and the purpose, and, uh, and I just get to be a part of the catalyst to it all. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you again next time.